Hello world, this is Roger Corvale and this is For the Hope. Here we read through the Bible conversationally, talk about the truth claims of Christianity, and learn to fall more in love with Jesus and the people in his world. You ready? Let's roll. Welcome. This year it was celebrated on March 16th and 17th, but there was a time when it was outlawed by Adolf Hitler, the Jewish holiday of Purim. Hey, Hopeful, welcome to For the Hope's Daily Audio Bible, where we read through every single word of God's revelation of himself and consider our own life and work stories in light of that, including eliminating useless factoids about Jewish holidays. And hey, coming at you from the road today and recording this into my iPhone, so uh, unless you're brand new around here, you know that we're uh, keeping it real crew because faithfulness is more better than perfection, right? Hey, when we were last together, we read some New Testament together in the book of Corinthians that we're not far into, and we heard Paul get into this section of this first letter where he began to address divisions in the church. And you might remember that Corinth's Corinth's version of Greek culture was not only notable for its sexual sin, but that they had this thing for boasting and one-upmanship, which, frankly, I think about every time I pass some bridge or airport or government building named for somebody like, okay, I've flown into Norman Mineta International Airport in San Jose more times than I can count, and I couldn't tell you who the heck Norman Mineta is, but he made sure that I remembered his name. Well, today you're going to hear the version of that that the Corinthian church was dealing with, and listen in particular for what what Paul reminds them of in light of that, right? You know, Norman Mineta's legacy is his name's on an airport. What does Paul say? 1 Corinthians chapter 3. For my part, brothers and sisters, I was not able to speak to you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as babies in Christ, I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, since you were not yet ready for it. In fact, you're still not ready, because you are still worldly. For since there is envy and strife among you, are you not worldly and behaving like mere humans? For whenever somebody says, I belong to Paul, and another says, I belong to Apollos, aren't you acting like mere humans? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? They are servants through whom you believed, and each has the role the Lord has given. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, or podcasts for that matter, but only God who gives the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's co-workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to God's grace that was given to me, I've laid a foundation as a skilled master builder, but another builds on it. But each one is to be careful how he builds on it. For no one can lay any foundation other than what has been laid down, and that foundation is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw... Each one's work will become obvious, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. 
But if anyone's work that he has built survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will experience loss, but he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Don't you yourselves know that you are God's temple and that the Spirit of God lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and that is what you are. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool so that he can become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God, since it is written, He catches the wise in their craftiness. And elsewhere it's written, The Lord knows what the reasonings of the wise, that the reasonings of the wise are futile. So let no one boast in human leaders, for everything is yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, or the world or life or death or the things present or the things to come. Everything is yours, and you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Uh, you like that, preacher? Nah, I like this one. <laughs> I mean, of course, you and I would never do that, right? Yet Paul ties this to the very foundation of the church. Just a little bit relevant, given that you and I, like the Corinthians that Paul is writing to, are the holy temple of God's spirit. So, get your name on an airport. Might mean you're somebody important in the moment. But even that's going to burn up or go down or whatever. Fortunately for us, God's wisdom is immeasurably greater than anything we could come up with. And the least of his wisdom is greater than the greatest of the wise. And that is most certainly not me, my friends. Well, turning to our Old Testament segment and the book of Esther. The king's right-hand dude, Haman, got found out in his attempt to get the Jews annihilated and we left off with him dangling on the gallows that he had constructed to execute the guy he hated, Esther's uncle, Mordecai. So, with that, let's uh, grab Esther chapter 8, and today we're going to finish it up. That same day, King Ahasuerus awarded Queen Esther the estate of Haman, the enemy of the Jews. Mordecai entered the king's presence because Esther had revealed her relationship to Mordecai. The king removed his signet ring, and he had he had removed from Haman and gave it to Mordecai and put and Esther put him in charge of Haman's estate. Then Esther addressed the king again. She fell at his feet, wept, and begged him to revoke the evil of Haman the Agagite and his plot that he had devised against the Jews. The king extended the gold scepter toward Esther, so she got up and stood before the king. She said, If it pleases the king, and I have found favor with him, if the matter seems right to the king and I am pleasing in his eyes, let the, a royal edict be written. Let it revoke the documents of the scheming Haman son of Hamadatha the Agagite wrote to destroy the Jews who are in all the king's provinces. For how could I bear to see with the disaster that would come on my people? For I, could I, how could I bear to see such the destruction of my relatives? King Ahasuerus said to Esther the queen and to Mordecai the Jew, Look, I have given Haman's estate to Esther, and he was hanged on the gallows because he attacked the Jews. Write in the king's name whatever pleases you concerning the Jews, and seal it with the royal signet ring. 
A document written in the king's name and sealed with the royal signet ring cannot be revoked. On the 23rd day of the third month, that is the month of Sivan, the royal scribes were summoned and everything was written exactly as Mordecai commanded for the Jews to the satraps, the governors, and the officials of the 127 provinces from India to Kush. The edict was written for each province in its own script, for each ethnic group in its own language, and to the Jews in their own script and language. Mordecai wrote in King Ahasuerus's name and sealed the edicts with the royal signet ring. He sent the documents by mounted couriers who rode fast horses bred in the royal stables. The king's edict gave the Jews in each and every right city the right to assemble and defend themselves, to destroy, kill, and annihilate every ethnic and provincial army hostile to them, including women and children, and to take their possessions as spoils of war. This would take place on a single day throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus on the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar. A copy of the text, issued as law throughout every province, was distributed to all the peoples so the Jews could be ready to avenge themselves against their enemies on that day. The couriers rode out in haste on their royal horses at the king's urgent command. The law was also issued in the fortress of Susa. Mordecai went from the king's presence clothed in royal blue and white with a great gold crown and purple robe of fine linen. The city of Susa shouted and rejoiced and the Jews celebrated with gladness and joy and honor. In every province and every city where the king's command and edict reached, gladness and joy took place among the Jews. There was a celebration and a holiday and many of the ethnic groups of the land professed themselves to be Jews because fear of the Jews had overcome them. The king's command and law went into effect on the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar. And on the day when the Jews' enemies had hoped to overpower them, just the opposite happened. The Jews overpowered those who hated them. In each of King Ahasuerus' province, the Jews assembled in their cities to attack those who had intended to harm them, and not a single person could withstand them. Fear of them fell on every nationality. All the officials of the provinces, the satraps, the governors, and the royal civil administrators aided the Jews because they feared Mordecai. For Mordecai exercised great power in the palace, and his fame spread throughout the provinces as he became more and more powerful. The Jews put all their enemies to the sword, killing and destroying them. They did what they pleased to those who hated them. In the fortress of Susa, the Jews killed and destroyed 500 men, including Parshandatha, Dalphan, Aspatha, Paratha, Adalia, Eridatha, Parmashta, Arsai, Aradai, and Vizatha. They killed the, these ten sons of Haman, son of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews. However, they did not seize any plunder. On that day, the number of people killed in the fortress of Susa was reported to the king. The king said to Queen Esther, In the fortress of Susa, the Jews have killed and destroyed 500 men, including Haman's ten sons. What have they done in the rest of the royal provinces? Whatever you ask will be given to you. Whatever you seek will also be done. Esther answered, If it pleases the king, may the Jews who are in Susa also have tomorrow to carry out today's law. May the bodies of Haman's ten sons be hung on the gallows. The king gave the orders for this to be done, so a law was announced in Susa, and they hung the bodies of Haman's ten sons. The Jews in Susa assembled again on the fourteenth day of the month of Adar and killed three hundred men in Susa, but they did not seize any plunder. 
The rest of the Jews in the royal provinces assembled, defended themselves, and gained relief from their enemies. They killed 75,000 of those who hated them, but they did not seize any plunder. They fought on the 13th day of the month of Adar and rested on the 14th, and it became a day of feasting and rejoicing. But the Jews in Susa had assembled on the 13th and 14th days of the month. They rested on the 15th day of the month, and it became a day of feasting and rejoicing. This explains why the rural Jews who live in villages observe the 14th day of the month of Adar as a time of rejoicing and feasting. It is a holiday when they send gifts to one another. Mordecai recorded these events and sent letters to all the Jews in all the, of King Ahasuerus' provinces, both near and far. He ordered the Excuse me. He ordered them to celebrate the 14th and 15th days of the month of Adar every year because during those days the Jews gained relief from their enemies. That was the month when the, their sorrow was turned into rejoicing and their mourning into a holiday. They were to be, there were to be days of feasting, rejoicing, and of sending gifts to one another and to the poor. So the Jews agreed to continue the practice they had begun, as Mordecai had written them to do. For Haman, son of Hamadatha the Agagite, the enemy of all the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to destroy them. He cast the poor, that is, the lot, to crush and destroy them. But when the matter was brought before the king, he commanded by letter that the evil plan Haman had devised against the Jews return on his own head, and that he should be hanged on with his sons on the gallows. For this is the reason, for this reason, these days are called Purim from the day, from the word, poor, which you probably see as pur or pure. But I looked it up. It's called poor, porim. Because of all the instructions in this letter, as well as what had, they had witnessed and what had happened to them, the Jews bound themselves, their descendants, and all who joined with them to a commitment that they would not fail to celebrate these two days each and every year according to the written instructions and according to the time appointed. These days are remembered and celebrated by every generation, family, province, and city, so that these days of Purim will not lose their significance in Jewish life, and their memory will not fade from their descendants. Queen Esther, daughter of Abihail, along with Mordecai the Jew, wrote this second letter with full authority to confirm the letter about Purim. He sent letters with full assurances of peace and security to all the Jews who were in the 127 provinces of the king kingdom of Ahasuerus in order to confirm these days of Purim at their proper time, just as Mordecai the Jew and Esther the queen had established them, and just as they had committed themselves and their descendants to the practices of fasting and lamentation. So Esther's command confirmed these customs of Purim, which were then written into the record. Chapter 10, which is a couple sentences. King Ahasuerus imposed a tax throughout the land, even to its farthest shores, all of his powerful and magnificent accomplishments and the detailed account of Mordecai's great rank with the king, with which the king had honored him, have they not been written in the book of the historical events of the kings of Media and Persia? Mordecai the Jew was second only to King Ahasuerus. He was now famous among the Jews and highly esteemed by many of his relatives. He continued to pursue prosperity for his people and to speak for the well-being of all his descendants. And my friends, that wraps up the book of Esther. I think it's kind of interesting that in a way, 
God allowed the Jews to be his instrument of justice against people who had murderous intentions. But they didn't keep any plunder, right? Meaning there was a, um, maybe like the equivalent of capital punishment, which is exactly how we should see God's, say, destruction of the Canaanites in the Old Testament. But there were no spoils of war, right? There was no personal gain to be had for the Jews because they, they didn't take any plunder. So there you go. Well, hey, I'm going to wrap up. No closing reflection segment today. I'm going to wrap up with a little bit out of uh, the book of Proverbs, chapter 19, picking up in verse 18. One without sense enters an agreement and puts up security for his friend. One who loves to offend loves strife. One who builds a high threshold invites injury. One with a twisted mind will not succeed, and one with deceitful speech will fall into ruin. A man fathers a fool to his own sorrow. A father of a fool has no joy. I think we'll just leave it right there. Now let's finish up with one more. Let's leave it on a positive note. A joyful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit dries up the bones. My friends, I have such a joyful heart these days. Thanks for hanging with me on a rough read uh, on an unedited iPhone uh, recording. I love you. Amen. Amen.